from WXOJLP Northampton, 103.3 FM, your Valley Free Radio Station. Welcome. I'm Warren Odeschalette, and this is A Baha'i Perspective. A Baha'i Perspective is a radio program that examines contemporary issues using the principles of the Baha'i Faith. If you want information on the Baha'i Faith specifically, you can go to the website www.baha'i.org, that's B-A-H-A-I dot O-R-G, or you can call the toll-free number 1-800-22-UNITE. Today I'm playing a fourth in a series of interviews with Mr. Ray Estes a Baha'i from Chapel Hill, North Carolina, who comes from a background of a born-again Christian. He has studied the Bible for many years and has developed new understandings of some of the Bible stories now that he is a Baha'i. In this segment, Ray addresses how one reconciles what seemingly appears to be contradictions between the concepts of religion and science. In these days of great confusion, these days of the maze of people saying, here's the truth, there's the truth, that's not the truth, this is the truth. How do we know what we're doing? And how, how are we going to get through this? And how would we find the truth? And this is a dilemma that we all have, and I know because I really seriously had to ask myself these questions. Because I had come from a background where Basically, my father had very fascist-type thinking. He thought, uh, you know, um, he was anti-Semitic. He was uh, basically very racist. And he didn't hold the station of women in very high esteem. And growing up in that, and my, father, my mother having died when I was six, I was kind of exposed to this in an overwhelming way. <clears throat> but even at a young age, I began to challenge this perception because... My grandmother uh, exposed me to the Bible, and in reading the Bible, I found ideals and, and principles and truths that I held high. I was mainly coming from the Old Testament part because of the stories of mm-hmm. the heroic figures who stood up for truth and justice. Now, mm-hmm. I wanted to be a person on the right side of things, but I didn't exactly know what the right side of things were. But after I um, went through a period of my teenage years where I was, shall we say, not the epitome of moral virtue, I came to the realization that, in fact, I wanted to be one of those people who chooses the bright side, the right side, the side that I could be proud of as a human being to have lived. And I became a born-again Christian. Mm-hmm. And uh, <clears throat> unfortunately, though, I had challenges of orthodox belief that we Christians were the only ones. And so I went on a search for truth. What is Mm. the truth of this? I knew that Christ was true, but Uh I didn't know how we could um, integrate the true love of Christ with the modern world without throwing out our brains, so to speak. So I was really looking for truth. Now, it's interesting that Einstein said a couple of very interesting principles. He said in one place that truth is beautiful. It's elegant, and in a strange way, simple. Mm. And that um, when you're trying to figure out in a scientific world what might be true to look for what is symmetrical, beautiful, simple, a simple way of of seeing something that seems very complex. Now, that's a complicated thing in itself, but the point Mm. was, I, I heard this, that it's beautiful. Meaning, there's a part of me that can tell the difference between something that's ugly and something that's beautiful. Even as a young boy, I knew that what my father was saying was ugly. That and being that he was uh, Nazi, uh, he was anti-Semitic, prejudiced, blah, 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 blah. Exactly. Blah. He held views that supported those views. And I was old enough to recognize that they were ugly. Just as I think we all are aware that Uh, racism as it was practiced in the South, particularly in the level of the Ku Klux Klan and things like that, that this was ugly. And anyone who thinks it wasn't ugly 
lacked something in their being. I don't care how many days they went to church and how they sing the praises of the Lord when they were riding with white sheets on them and burning crosses and killing people. They were ugly. Now, ugliness shows up in every culture, in every religion, in every nationality, in every race. But so does beauty. And the search for beauty became my search. Now, another thing that Einstein said that is kind of interesting, he said, the intuitive mind is a gift, and the rational mind is its servant. We have a society that honors the servant and ignores and forgets the gift. Now, it's interesting because... <clears throat> In religion, we call this the realm of the heart and the realm of the mind. It is that part of ourself that can see beauty, recognize, can evaluate the qualities of something. Not just that it exists, not how tall, how short, how wide, but actually the qualities of that item, be it a human being or a principle. And then there's an interesting thing if you add this to it. He, Einstein also said that truth is universal. It isn't just true in Texas and then it falls apart in New Jersey. But anyway, the, the reality is that when something is true, but only true to a limited degree, that's one kind of truth. Mm -hmm. It's beautiful for a few. But if it's absolutely ugly for everybody else, we better question it. When truth is truly universal, it embraces the whole. What is the whole? We call in one way... <clears throat> That which is holy is that which is complete. Mm. And holiness and wholeness and oneness are related. So the degree to which a truth is universal, that it can be seen and understood by all humans, where it can be appreciated and loved by all humans, because it doesn't have a hook in it. It doesn't have the sharp edge of prejudice. It doesn't have a culturally uh, attached view mm -hmm. but actually pierces through all this I knew was the greater truth so when I read for an example Jesus Christ later on in life versus some of the teachings of Paul now first of all I'll just let you know I think Paul was one of the greatest teachers of truth ever in the history of humanity but he wasn't Jesus Christ mm -hmm. and there's degrees of truth so when Jesus talks, I tell you, you hear universal truth ringing in every word. You can take these teachings anywhere with any group of people and they'll hold solid ground. But when you get to Paul, he's now making the Christian faith adaptable to the conditions and culture that he lives in. He used the famous statement, when in Rome, via the Romans, okay? And he took this to the hilt. Just some examples. He said in one place... Now, he was a Roman, wasn't he? he or was, was he... All three. It was interesting. Paul, Paul had a Jewish mother, therefore he was Jewish. He had a Greek father, therefore he's Greek. And he had become an honorary Roman citizen for services rendered to the empire. He had a clear understanding of Roman society, but he understood the truth of the Greeks and the wisdom of the Greeks, and yet he was fully a Jew and became actually a Pharisee, a teacher, a rabbi in the Jewish faith. Mm. So he is uniquely gifted to see his time and his day. But he made some statements that are beautifully like, you know, uh, if a man, uh, uh, how's that go? Uh, if a man have not lo love, he becomes like a tinkling cymbal and sounding brass. It doesn't matter how good you seem, seem to be, but if there's no love there, you really don't have it. I mean, he... He really hit on it. There's one place where he says, For they that are of the flesh do mind the things of the flesh, but they that are of the spirit do mind the things of the flesh, a spirit. Those that are spiritually minded have life and peace, but of the flesh, uh, not so. The point being, and I'm not trying to be a quoter here, the idea is he was eloquent. He speaks to the heart of, in many ways, universal. But there were times when he spoke on a very cultural level slaves obey your masters I don't think that holds up well universally and forever that's one another one is as God is to man I'm sorry as God is to Jesus 
Jesus is to man, man is to woman. Now, if you think that through, man, any honest man knows that Jesus Christ is eons of light years ahead of him. I mean, he's way up there. And if there's even any comparison to man to woman seen in that light, it puts woman in a very disparaging light. It just doesn't hold up to the reality. Another one he said was, uh, woman was made for man. Man was not made for woman. That held up great in the Roman Empire. But just ask your mother about this if she can see that this is true. Or if you're still confused, you know, ask your wife. She'll straighten you out on this matter. And if you're still confused, just ask your daughter. If you have any reserve left, she will take care of it for you. And I use that humorously because I've been through this. <laughs> now then, his relevancy of truth shows up in many ways. The Christian church adopted a lot of it. For an example, there was a man named Mithra who was a supposedly a messiah in the Roman Empire days who was sent by his father to save the people who died a horrible death and resurrected from the dead and people followed him and believed in him. It was a challenge to the Christian faith. The Christian faith had to deal with this particular group. What what year was this? This is all during the hundred years after Christ. Okay. So how did the Christians adapt? Well, one of the ways they did, guess what day Mithra, his birthday was? December 25th. December the 25th. So the Christian church adopted his birthday and made it Christ's birthday to fit in because they already celebrated Christmas under a different name in a different way but the similarities were there and they just co-opted that and made it part of the Christian faith and brought in a lot of these people into the church and thought that justified it. Now, there are all kinds of things like this that were felt to be appropriate and who am I to criticize the days of those of the Christians in the Roman Empire? In 400 years they indeed turned the Roman Empire into a Christian world. However, if we carry this too far and not see the distinction between the station of Jesus Christ and other writers and not take a um, superstitious view there is no difference then we fall into a problem. Mm. Relativity in religion has to be seen. When Paul also said this and for him I thank him greatly for this one. When I was a child I spake as a child I was as a child but when I became a man I put aside childish things. We people in the 21st century must realize we're living in a world quite different than the Roman Empire and the succeeding Dark Ages. And we've entered a new age. An age where we have the capacity to know things. We don't need a clergy to tell us everything. We can learn for ourselves. We have the internet, etc., etc. We are living in a day when we can independently seek out what's true. And and some of the things we have to realize is the stories were not to be taken literal. Mm -hmm. They were symbolic in nature. And with our modern eye of understanding of history and anthropology, we can see the uh, message history and anthropology. We can see the uh, message. We can see the truth, but not hold on to the literal and get trapped into believing that snakes can talk and donkeys talk and stuff like this. Uh, there are witches going around and demons and devils that are going to make us do things we don't want to do. These things were symbolic in nature. They have a reality, but they're not in physical reality. I gave that talk the other day, and we can, you know, so I'm not going to go there. But what I do want to talk about, then, is this search for truth. We have to realize we've been given brains to use them, mm. And this aspect of our part is called the heart or our inner uh, sense of what's beautiful and true is there. Every human being has it. And we need to look at life balanced. Mm -hmm. But we have to have an overarching universal principle from which to operate. God is, a, in a strange way, a way of understanding the ultimate truth. God is a, is, is a symbolic word for a reality that is intelligent, 
loving, just, creative, guiding, forgiving, compassionate, etc., etc. God is the word we use to sum up all the highest uh, ideals that we can see. But in this age, there are some new ones to add to that. Oneness, unity, the idea. The truth is singular in this, that it's universal. Real truth is universal. It has a oneness to it. Mm. It's not multiple. On another level, it's multiple in that it accepts all the changes and differences as being part of the whole. It's holy in that sense. We must come from this realm of holiness and oneness, of what we call the realm of the Spirit, with which to make judgments. If something is said to be true, but it says everybody but that group of people over there, that group don't deserve anything, that group has to be loved out, besides they have dark skins, we better challenge it. Or if we hear, oh, those are those people over there, they did all these bad things in the past, and for that, they are to be left out of the equation. We could call them Muslims. We could call them Jews. We could call them Americans. Our history is a bloody history. What we did to the Native Americans, what we did to African Americans, what we have done in various times in our, in our history when we weren't on the right side. Therefore, we have to challenge even our own culture to see the truth. It cannot be that the good people come from America and them other people from them other places don't live up to the high standard. It's also true it can't be about regional religionists. For example, if you're born in India, you're probably going to be a Hindu. If you're born in Saudi Arabia, you stand an excellent chance of being a Muslim. Mm -hmm. If you're born where I come from in North Carolina, you stand a real good chance to have some Baptists in your background. Now, it should not be that those who born in certain locations get a first-class ticket to heaven while those other poor saps are left behind. Obviously, it's not universal enough. So, when we're looking for the truth, it had better be able to have a way of viewing all humanity in a light of acceptance. Yes, in cases, forgiveness, but yet acceptance. So, mm. with this in mind, I set out to find the right church. Needless to say, I had a lot of difficulty. As soon as I opened my mouth in an inclusive way, I found myself being shut down. Mm. But one day, that lady said to me that she knew what my problem was. I said, what's that? She said, well, you're a Baha'i and you just don't know it. And led me on a journey to where I eventually recognized that I am indeed a Baha'i. Mm -hmm. I have this spirit in me driving me to know what is the ultimate universal truth for today. Not saying that future generations won't have to see and go on the same struggle. Now then, <laughs> I'd like to identify some of the tools we have to use. I, in my journey, found there were four ways to see things. Okay. The first way is with my physical eyes. Now, several hundred years ago, if you took a man, stood him in a field, and said, now I want you to stare at the sun for today, just watch it. Then you went and said to him, what's happening here? He said, well, the sun is moving across the sky. If you said to him, well, actually it's not, uh, he would challenge you. He said, listen, mm -hmm. I'm seeing it with my own eye. Don't tell me the sun isn't moving. I can see with my own eyes. So we know now, because later on, we discovered through science and then later education, that in fact the sun is standing still and we're doing the moving. Mm -hmm. It changed everything. I tell you, it was revolutionary. And we call this civilized man sees through the eyes of education and science. Second set of eyes. Mm -hmm. We could call this also the eyes of the mind. Okay. And so the mind can reason out that, in fact, the sun is not moving, no matter what our eyes seem to see. <clears throat> the third stage is seeing through the eyes of the heart, mm. or this part of our consciousness that can evaluate beauty and quality. 
And we would call this perhaps the realm of the heart that can see spiritual things. It can see principles of high and noble character like justice. It can evaluate love. It can evaluate mercy and compassion. These are extensions of the mind or the, the power of the heart to get involved. Mm-hmm. And that's where faith is born. Faith is born in the realms of the heart because we see something beautiful, so beautiful that we put our confidence in it and our trust in it. But it must be balanced in the modern era with its servant, the mind or the reason. It can't just stand because it feels good, looks good. It also has to be reasonable and balanced. I suggest to you that's not always easy to do, but faith balances reason. Reason balances faith. And yet we haven't come to the best set of eyes yet. Okay. I use the term the mystical eye. It is the eye of seeing not only the beauty, not only reasonable, but it sees purpose and it uses the words of the, of the teachers from God. It's a religious integration. Mm-hmm. It's where we take the historical evidence of the great mystical teachers that appeared in our midst. Everyone from Moses to Jesus to Muhammad to uh, uh, Buddha and Krishna and a host of others who appeared on the human scene and have been the guides and educators of our moral life. When we combine that and our heart and our mind and even with our physical eyes there are certain evidences we have to see that are practical with our human normal eye all four of these when they're used uh, create the opportunity to really discover reality and find out how beautiful in fact life really is in spite of our sorrows and troubles Mm -hmm. so this came through reflection And um, it has served me well to realize, and it's also the teachings of the Baha'i faith, that this higher way of seeing uh, is where God can inspire us if we use our intuition that, in fact, the spirit can move through our consciousness in such a way as to bring us fantastic enlightenment. So... You might even call then that last one the intuitive mind mm. that can hear uh, the word from divinity, but from the cry of the needy to the needs of our children to the poor. It is uh, uh, being able to hear as well as see. Mm. And uh, I won't go any farther than that. I think everybody can use their imagination. Okay. Now it leads me to another uh, part that I would like to share, and it's about the um, different traditional or different general modes, the way people look at life. And I think most people are unaware that there are these modes, or if they are, they're aware of a couple of them, and they notice that they seem to be in conflict. And I'd like to just give a brief idea. There's the traditional religious view that basically says that the scriptures, be they the Old Testament, the Hebrew Bible, the Christian New Testament, or the Islamic uh, Quran, or the Bhagavad Gita, or all the various holy books. Mm -hmm. And holding that these books, written hundreds, perhaps thousands of years ago, hold the essence of literal truth. And that nothing can challenge them. And this creates the very, what we call, orthodox religious movements on the earth but we notice something they don't seem to be able to get along (laughs) and they clash a lot even though many of them have a common ancestor for example Judaism, Christianity and Islam have a common ancestor in Abraham Abraham. and they all believe in the fundamental teachings of Genesis (laughs) and in that sense they're united against science and science takes them on some people this believe this little battle in a teacup, this storm in a teacup is the real battle. And I suggest to you it is not 
uh, it wouldn't. You know, that's really odd, Ray, because when certainly from the Islamic world we had great science come into being, and to say now that they are sort of battling science doesn't make any sense. Well, if you look at it this way, uh, many of the achievements of the Renaissance and the discoveries of science in the uh, Western world, and yet many very intelligent, educated people have joined the battle and believe that the earth was created instantaneously, the universe, in effect, the six-day creation mm -hmm. and the literal stories of, of Genesis, mm -hmm. which, having been a born-again Christian, I went through that, but I couldn't, I couldn't, I knew, I, in my heart of hearts, knew there's a better explanation mm -hmm. than adopting it. But I know many can't make this jump. Okay. They keep, they like live a schizophrenic way. They go to work as a scientist and go home and practice fundamentalist religion. That's true in the Muslim world, the Jewish world, and the Christian world. A little less even among the, the Jews, if you really got down to it. They're probably mm -hmm. less that way. However, going on, I too come from one of these backgrounds, as most of us do, but it's a challenge because as we become educated, i.e., uh, we've read the book, but here comes science, and it's got some pretty strong evidence that, that science knows something. Mm hmm and unfortunately with that yes comes the big bang and evolution and random mutation natural selection darwinism and all that goes with it first of all there are many different degrees and ways of looking at that there is no absolute consensus there's a lot of debate in the scientific world but in general evolution is not disputed at the scientific level and um, uh, this is where we have a problem because some people, once they became oriented to science, decided religion was of no value. And a lot of people thought this to such a degree, they came to the conclusion that religion was actually a hindrance. And socialism, which later on became known as communism, or you might say communism became known as socialism. Uh, Karl Marx wrote the Communist Manifesto, and basically God, religion, and all its virtues, because of the perceived wrongs, was cast out. We threw the baby out with the bathwater and we created a man-made new creed called communism and I'm not going to go into the horrors that it produced. It is well known. Thank God it finally fell apart because it wasn't based on reality. And, uh, and so moving on from there uh, many people have been seduced by a totally rational way of looking at things and find that life gets, in some ways, very challenging taking that view without any kind of uh, spiritual foundation to their lives. Now, that doesn't mean everybody's not a, who's a, a, a basic uh, scientist or a modernist. This view is called the modernist view. Mm -hmm. And... Uh, there's a lot of wonderful modernists, uh, modernists, just like there's a lot of wonderful religionists. Mm -hmm. And at the same time, I suggest that in time, this gives way to a lot of abuses because there's no uh, rudder, so, so uh, moral rudder that clear in that view. But, you know, people have different opinions about that. But I just want to move on. So we have these two, and there it clash. The modernist view tra uh, clashing with the traditional religious view. And now, in uh, in the last since after mainly after World War II, when uh, fascism and and uh, those were done away with um, or defeated, a new view came, which didn't like either one of the other two, and we would call this uh, postmodernism. Okay. And some people call it New Age. The different ways, but the basic idea is this: as long as I do good in the social world. I'm pretty free to do whatever I want to do on a personal level as long as I don't hurt anybody. And so people kind of like try to pay the universe back by doing some good deeds and then can feel free to kind of have fun. And, and I'm not saying everybody who's a postmodernist does this. I'm saying that it opens the door to where you decide for yourself what the values are. There's no uh, objective truth. There's only a subjective truth. Whatever, if it feels good, why shouldn't I do it? Without taking consideration that often we don't want to see what the effect might be.
But I would suggest to you that this has led to a 57% marriage failure, which I believe and I think most people would realize is not good for children. I would say it's not good for our society. I would say the fact that we're having difficulty making commitments to each other that we can hang on to because as soon as we see something we think might be a little more exciting, we dump what we have and go after it. And the end result are a lot of very lonely, isolated feeling uh, uh, people who have lost their ability to trust other people. I suggest to you that this view of we're our own God, so to speak, or we are collectively God, and as long as we do good, everything's okay, because there's more to it than that. And this is where I think it falls apart. It, uh, it kind of like, um, it's like man once uh, wanted to be God so much uh, that he believed he was God, and that didn't hold up real well, so he made God out of stone and wood, and eventually made God out of flesh and blood. When in reality, no one knows definitively what is God. But we know one thing, that when, when we believe in these high ideals as being divinely inspired, it plays a role in our moral development and our moral sensibilities. I suggest to you it's a breaks on some of our excesses and an inspiration to the best part of us. No, I don't say everybody's going to agree with me. Mm-hmm. But that I believe these three, New Age or postmodernism, modernism and traditional, all have something to contribute to our understanding. There's no doubt to do good in the social realm, to not try to do any harm to others, is very, very positive. Mm-hmm. But we go too far when we don't think there's anything beyond that. And then the idea of intelligent design, that... Mankind from the beginning of time has looked around him and he can't help but seeing that his own intelligence orders things, creates things, manages things, causes things. So that when man looked around at his environment, that he did think, okay, where are you? Come on, show yourself. You who've done all this. I don't know how I got here. You must have put me here. These are natural questions. They're true 10,000 years ago, they're true today. But here's what it gets down to. When we notice as science goes deeper and deeper in discovering the mysteries of the universe and of the, the atom and all the particles, it's a wonder. It doesn't even make sense that the smaller you go down, the more space you find and the less matter you discover. That is amazing. Mm that you begin to realize that the universe is maybe more a u- an energy field than anything else. But that's another discussion. My point is that we begin to see the order of things, the complexity of things, whether we were a tribesman in the, uh, in the, the, the jungle or a scientist today in a laboratory, we can't help admire the complexity and the chances that all this just happened to happen by accident. Mm-hmm. And it's of no um, big jump to see why people say, okay, where are you? Show yourself. Come on. Speak to me. I know you're there. You're mm-hmm. watching me. Somehow I'm sensing that. That's human nature too. And I, have, I like to say, listen, if it looks like a duck, it talks like a duck, and it quacks like a duck, it might be a duck. When you see all this intelligent patterns and and seeming uh, support for life and and uh, order systems and order, you you might say there's intelligence behind this. Mm-hmm. So now we get down to the uh, the last view, and I'm going to call it for what I believe it to be the Baha'i view. Mm-hmm. The Baha'i view sees the good and the beauty in the other four. Mm-hmm. We agree with the traditional religions. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. We buy that. But we believe he did it through an evolutionary process. We can go along with the idea. If, if the Big Bang is what it is, we're, we have no problem with that. We don't even say who lit the fuse. Mm-hmm. And who guided the particles that this could all come about. Mm-hmm. In other words, we don't believe that the scientific theories contradict the possibility that an intelligent 
reality beyond our understanding is involved in all of this happening and that there's a purpose to it all. It's not just a happening. It's a purposeful happening. Mm-hmm. And so we agree. We can, we can agree with a certain amount of random mutation took place. We can go along with a certain amount of natural selection took place. It's just that it was all part of the way it was to unfold. And that it was a per- even the mutations had a reason for mutating, and so we believe that that this intelligent reality uses as the the laboratory from which we were brought into existence. Okay. Then, finally, uh, new age. In this day and age, if we don't take in consideration the well-being of all humanity. If we don't take in consideration that all the cultures belong here, that all peoples have a right to be here, and therefore any vision that is exclusive and prejudicial and subjugates one half the human race, the women, has no part into the future. Any philosophy who fights the unity of the human race, the coming together of the human family to solve our problems with a world democratically elected world civilization and government that can moderate our natural resources and protect us from our own greed and have a system that allows every nation to participate and everybody to have a voice and at the same time what is America about but to prove that federalism works and that it can work beautifully but we can also screw it up but we know that we have to have checks and balances. What is this great American experiment for, if not to become able to help us understand what might possibly be done on a planetary level with definitely some modifications? Mm -hmm. So, Mm -hmm. in the end, we find ourselves appreciating all of these points of view, but on the other hand, taking away what we believe are the excesses and on the other, finding out the beautiful harmony that can be seen when you take the essence and the goodness that lies in all of them. So we're definitely postmodernists in that we believe you should find your part to play for the welfare of the overall good. Mm-hmm. The only difference is we believe God guides us to even our own personal moral uh, ideals. Mm-hmm. And that, for an example, yes, we Baha'is, do not take drugs. When I say that, I mean recreational drugs. If a doctor advises us to take something for our health, we will listen to that. But we don't take alcohol recreationally because we believe that in the modern world, in the old days, when you rode a horse and you got drunk and you fell over on your horse, your horse knew better than to go over a cliff. Your horse knew better than to run into other other horses. And as a result, the horse had good sense, even if you didn't. In the modern world, if you're flying an airplane and you're drunk, that plane does not know how to take care of itself. That car with you and your, your four children in it, and the car ahead of you with the wife and children and everybody in that car, and you're not in your right mind, oh, you just had a couple of drinks, but your reflexes are off, and people die and our families are destructive things happen it's not the age for these things Mm -hmm. we have a wonderful gift in the human intelligence we're to use it not distort it Mm -hmm. so yes we voluntarily give up alcohol even though we're not alcoholics or we're not drunks or but we know the very system that provides these recreational brain alters are harmful to the human race. Mm-hmm. How many a family has been ruined because of addiction? Remove these things with wisdom, and yes, don't allow the gangsters to take advantage of our weak nature. We can, but it's going to take a worldwide. It's going to take the entire human race to rise up to eliminate these cancers on our social existence. Mm-hmm. So there are things like this that we Baha'is do take a strong stand. Um, the moral code pick one partner love them cherish them be there for them 
but we have a habit of abusing such things and we believe that in the modern world we're not going back to an old code we're remembering that that code did have a part to play in in a healthy society and that part is like traditional religion needs to be restored so we're traditionalists in that sense mm-hmm. and we believe that science backs us up we don't even, we flip from relationship to relationship to our great dishonor but more than that despair we can't hardly get married anymore and have any sense that we have a life partner children brought in the world who have no real guarantee they're going to be raised by a father and a mother that brought them in this world this is not the way the order of the universe should be so I uh, I would share with you then that the view that unites the good uh, of these is really because each of them has taken one part of the truth and then embellished it with ways to avoid some responsibilities but if we look at the essence of religion the essence of science the essence of postmodernism the essence of uh, uh the Baha'i faith, we will recognize a unity there. Mm. A reasonable, intelligent, rational, moral code, uh, understanding of where we came from and where we're going. One of the biggest issues of our day is what's going to happen in the future. And there are several viewpoints on that. The rational world says pretty much we're heading for hell in a handbasket of our own making. Pollution, uh, atomic war, corruption, you name it, we know we're going there. Uh, we're going to use up all our natural resources. And and they're, they're not what you call optimistic, I would say. Then there's a the traditional religious view, which says, he's going to come again. He's going to come in the sky. He's going to, people are going to jump off, off the earth and fly up into the sky and and meet him in the air and be changed in an instant and come back down and be priests and teachers unto the people. Uh, There's a new series of books that have gained a lot of popularity called the uh, uh, Left Behind series. This is taking to my mind childish superstitions and childish views of reality and trying to fit them into the modern world Mm -hmm. and it amazes me how many thinking people fall into thinking that way? So uh, I'm going to try to show this is not necessary, that these prophecies have to be understood symbolically mm-hmm. and in fact are happening, but because they're happening in a way that is similar to the way it was when Jesus was here, everything was so normal, they couldn't see it. Only the pure in heart, shall we say, the, the true seekers of truth can find it. Okay. I'm going to take a passage that is agreed by most traditional religionists as being a passage that describes the return of Christ. Okay. It says, And I saw a white horse, and he that sat upon it is called Faithful and True. Okay, so this is a Revelation of St. John? Uh, no, yeah, Revelation of St. John, the 19th chapter, the 11th verse, which most people agree really is a prophecy of the coming of Christ, the latter days, all that everybody's been waiting for. And in fact, what's amazing is that the Muslims believe in a very similar viewpoint. They too, by the way, most people don't know this, but Muslims believe that Christ is returning too. They're not waiting for the return of Muhammad. They're returning, waiting for the return of Christ. Hmm. And that's an interesting thing. Yeah, it is interesting. And of course, the Jews are waiting for the Messiah, which is, in fact, the Christ. Mm. So this is interesting. So we can kind of kill three birds with one stone. (laughs) Okay. And I saw heaven open, and behold, a white horse. And he that sat upon him was called Faithful and True. And in righteousness he doth judge and make war. Now, if you take this literally, it's a strange thing happening. Mm. And I would suggest that uh, we can't really believe that that's to be taken literally. But mm-hmm. then we get into what's the interpretation. I would suggest the white horse symbolizes the physical, spotless character of the physical aspect of the Messiah, of the one who comes. I would suggest heaven opening means 
that out of uh, the heaven of God's purpose, the heaven of God's fulfillment of our hopes and dreams, uh, the heaven of where we'd all like to see ourselves going, He comes. It's not a, a, a literal heaven in, the, in that way. And um, he's called faithful and true means that he is he's faithful to the past and true in the present. And uh, so therefore there will be no inconsistency to what's come in the past, to what's happening in the present, but you have to look at it correctly. And in righteousness he doth judge and make war. Meaning one of the signs of his coming is he will teach what we have always known to be righteous teaching. There is a right way. It goes all the way back to Moses. We know the right thing. We try to kid ourselves. We try to sell ourselves bill of goods so that we can do what feels good, not what's right. And I suggest to you that that's what this is. He supports the righteous position of traditional religion. Okay. His eyes were as a flame of fire. And on his head were many crowns. And he had a name written that no man knew but he himself. This is really a good one. His eyes were as a flame of fire means his vision of reality is like a fire. It burns away all our illusions. I like to put it, he burns up the crap we've created that blinds us from seeing reality. All the interpretations and everything that we're illusionary, not true, badly thought out, and actually turn the people in wrong directions. His eyes, like a flame of fire, burns away mm. all of that. And then it says, and on his head were many crowns. Here come the Christians. They say, oh, here he is. He's our Lord. And they put a crown on his head. And then they notice a bunch of people with little yellow robes and bald heads coming and carrying a crown. They say, no, no, no. This is the fifth Buddha, the one we've always been, the universal Buddha, the one we've been waiting for. And they put a crown on his head. And then a guy comes with a turban. I'm using this symbolically. With a turban and carrying a crown. And he says, no, no, this is the one we Muslims have always known was coming. And put a crown on his head. And the Jews come, and here comes the Jew with his crown rushing forward no 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 this is the messiah he's been prophesied for thousands of years at last he's come and they crown him hence the lord with many crowns hmm. it's because he will be universally recognized as fulfilling the hopes and dreams of all the major religions of the world in a way that is a mystery to the others how that is hmm. and then um, and he had a name written that no man knew but himself. He's going to have a name that is not one word for me. He won't have a name like Muhammad. He won't have a name like uh, Jeremiah. He won't have a name like Moses. He won't have a name Jesus Christ. That's what Christ meant. We say if man comes and says Jesus is over here, Jesus is over there. Don't believe it because that's not going to happen. Just as Elijah was supposed to come, but we got John instead. But we got the spirit and power of Elijah in the presence of John. So we're going to have the spirit and power of Christ, the spirit and power of Muhammad, spirit and power of Moses, spirit and power of all the great teachers of the Buddha, etc., will be manifested in this one single individual. The spirit and power of the past returns in this present day to bring us to a new understanding now it says that the mountains will be brought down low. Another prophecy in the New Testament. The mm -hmm. mountains will be, actually in the Old Testament. Is this, is it, oh, okay, in the Old Testament. It's not here in, in Revelation, but and, and the mountains will be brought low. It's in the Old Testament. The mountains will be brought low. The valleys will be brought up, and the rough ground made smooth. Well, look out here, <laughs> no mountains flattened, no... And yet this took place in the time of Jesus. It was recorded that, that the Christians knew that that took place. Well, how did this take place? Mm. Well, there's two ways. Number one, spiritually speaking, he brought down the mighty and the powerful that had been held up too high and didn't deserve it. 
He raises up the lowly that have been discarded and abused and misused and brings them up to the standard. Mm -hmm. And uh, he takes the rough things that we have done to each other and shows us a better way, a smooth way. That's one interpretation. Mm -hmm. Another is this. In the modern age, the mountains have been flattened. The seas have dried up. The, the, the whole thing is now flat. How's that? Because the airplane mm. took away the barriers between us. Mm. Oceans separated, mountain ranges separated, deserts separated us. And we actually evolved different races over time because of these barriers. But in the modern age, we fly over all of them like they're flat ground. Mm. The, the prophecy is fulfilled. Mm -hmm. Now, another one, Muhammad said, and the earth shall shrink. Well, those who are waiting for the physical earth to shrink are going to wait a long time. Right. But those who understand that modern communication and transportation has shrunk the time factors. Mm -hmm. You see, when we look at these same things with a mystical eye, with the eye of the Spirit, we can begin to understand how these things are true. Mm. And, and it confirms the past, but it brings us to a more adult behavior pattern of fulfillment. Moving on. Mm -hmm. It says that no man knows this name but he himself. Meaning, we're not going to guess the name. When he comes, he will tell us the name. And here's what's interesting. We're going to find out that name was in our scriptures all along. Mm. The name that he comes with in this day is the glory of the Lord. Mm. In Arabic, which is the language it was given, it's pronounced Baha'u'llah. Glory of God, okay? Mm -hmm. Splendor of God, bright light from God. Many ways of, of seeing it. But it means the full light of the truth shining on our lives and our hearts and our new and our world with new fresh perspective. Now, where is it? It's like when they said that, that Christ's name would be Emmanuel. You had to look a little deeper. It means God with us. And then you could understand how Jesus was God, in that sense, God with us, and he was a revealer of his spirit. Now then, Baha'u'llah, or the glory of God, will be found in the 24th Psalm. Most people have heard the 23rd Psalm, the Lord is my shepherd, but in the 24th Psalm, it actually refers, who is this king of glory? And then it says, the Lord, mighty in battle. Then it repeats it again. Who is this Lord of, or King of Glory? The Lord of hosts. He is the King of Glory. It's saying that the day will come we'll say, Who is this Baha'u'llah? Who is this glory of God? Mm -hmm. It's our Lord returned for us at last to fulfill all our hopes and dreams of a better world. But not by magic, but by inspiring us. Mm -hmm. And then we have to rise up and make it happen. Mm -hmm. And it's going to take faith just like it always took. And there will be those who will oppose just as they always have. And there will be a small group, the foremost, the first fruits, the first 144,000. Or it really means that there's a group that will come from all the various tribes on earth, all the various communities, but they will be but a few. Those few will recognize this truth when it's not popular, when it's not on every front page, when you hear it from some friend who shares it with you, it touches your heart, you see that it's truth, and in the twinkling of an eye, you become a believer. Mm. Moving on. And he was clothed with a vesture dipped in blood, and his name is called the Word of God. There was one of his titles is the Word of God. He has a name that nobody knows, but he also is the Word of God. And it means that his, his life, his clothing, his life has been dipped in blood, meaning he isn't, doesn't come in the world and everybody just jumps on the bandwagon and supports him. No, they torture him, they beat him, they imprison him, they starve him, they do everything they can to get him to recant, to not teach that we are one and that God loves us all and that we have a future 
the, a future destiny to build the kingdom of heaven on earth. No, they don't want to hear that. They want magic. They don't want all this faith and hard work. So as a result, his life will be as all great teachers from God dipped in blood. Not the same way that Jesus was. Not the same way that uh, others in the past have had to go through. But he will go through a very challenging... And he goes through it for 40 years. Not just one day or three days. 40 years of persecution before he passes from this plane of existence. Mm -hmm. And then the last. And the armies which were in heaven followed him upon white horses, clothed in fine linen, white and clean. Okay? Now I want to suggest to you, those who see this, see it in its early days, become part of that army. And their lives have now become sanctified. They have purified their lifestyles. They have sought to become true champions of this light. Mm. And they follow him into the battle for the hearts of the human family. Now it goes on to say, And out of his mouth goeth forth a sharp sword, that with it he should smite the nations. I suggest to you that Jesus' teachings were a sword that cut through the crap of his age. And he said it. He came with the sword. And then he goes on to say that the word of God is the sword. Mm. Well, in this case, out of this, this teacher's mouth comes teachings that cuts through our illusions, lead us to truth. And uh, then going on, and he shall rule them with a rod of iron. He doesn't root them with a literal rod. The rod is the word, the law of God. Mm. He will share with us what the true law for this age is, that we can then update our sense of justice and have a planet that really does operate on a just level. So he's going to rule us with the law of God in that we will adopt the law of God and uh, bring it into our existence. Mm -hmm. And then it goes on. There's, I'll just read the last one. And he hath on his vesture, meaning his clothing, and on his thigh a name written, King of Kings and Lord of Lords. What does that mean? It means, relatively speaking, if there ever was a king, this is a king greater than any king who's ever been. And if there's ever been a Lord, this is a Lord of Lords. This is the hope that all of the Lords have told us about. And yet it's still the same spirit and power of God, but it's coming with such a glorious new view of reality that it actually brings peace on earth, a just world, and a civilization that is going to be something so great. Now, the King of Kings and Lord of Lords, that's the same phraseology used in the other, in the Old Testament prophecy about who is the, yes. who is the King of who Glory. Who is this King of Glory? The Lord, mighty in battle. Mm -hmm. Who is this King of Glory? The Lord of hosts. What are the hosts? The armies. Mm -hmm. But who are the armies? You and I, mm -hmm. if we're willing to recognize and see this beauty, mm -hmm. rise up and let it possess our hearts and we are willing to sacrifice if necessary our lives to hold up such a banner of integration uh, acceptance and forgiveness and love and get rid of our prejudices and, and see the dream a new dream if Martin Luther King had a dream this is a dream of dreams a world civilization founded on the truth of God ruled by his law, governed in a way that is just and fair for all peoples, mm. where every child is given their opportunity to have, a, to have life, to have food, to have shelter, to be loved by the adult world, to be educated and given the opportunity and freedom to bring its gifts and blessings that God has bestowed upon that child to the benefit of the whole human race. Thank you for allowing me once again to uh, share these perspectives. You're welcome. Thank you, Ray. Thank you. It's a pleasure. I hope you enjoyed that interview with Mr. Ray Estes, a Baha'i from Chapel Hill, North Carolina, 
who comes from a background of a born-again Christian. If you want information on the Baha'i faith specifically, you can go to the website www.baha'i.org, that's B-A-H-A-I dot O-R-G, or you can call the toll-free number 1-800-22-UNITE. I hope you'll join me next time on A Baha'i Perspective. This is WXOJLP Northampton, 103.3 FM, your Valley Free Radio Station.